All I have there to share for now, but I would like to go now to our our teaching, which is the balance of faith and grace. The first several lessons in our Bible study, we talked about God's part. We talked about the completed work of the cross. Then we spent several weeks talking about faith and about being um, built up and strengthened in our faith. We talked about the biblical definition of faith and people in the Bible that walked in faith, like Abraham and Noah and um, the apostles. We looked at um, what the Bible says how we can be in faith by um, hearing the word of God and allowing the rhema word of God to be literally be infused into us. He is the vine. He's the vine and we're the branches. And as we abide in his word about healing, that word is moves. It's like, it's like a plant giving life to the, to the fruit, to the branches and to the fruit and producing fruit. That's what happens when we feed on the word of God about healing. And that faith just grows up in us. But what I want to talk about tonight is keeping those two beautiful things balanced. God's part and our part. Keeping them balanced. And I'm going to start with one word. And then we'll talk a whole bunch about it. That one word is rest. Rest in the finished work. Rest when we are working so hard to be in faith, when we're working so hard to do what we think we have to do to receive, we're out of balance. So that's what we're going to talk about, what that looks like to stay balanced. We're going to talk first about God's part. We're just going to review it a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the rest. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Grace is God's part, and it's done. It's finished. Faith is our part. I would like to um, read this little um, prophetic word that Fran McCarthy had a while ago, and I wrote it down. It was so powerful. I loved it. She was. She's a woman. Um, Pastor Tim is my mentor in the ministry of healing, and Fran is his wife. And she works in the prophetic very, very, very fluidly. It's beautiful. And one day I was at their meeting, and this is what she said, and I wrote it down, and I've remembered it. She said, when my people see my grace, I see their faith. When my people see my grace, I see their faith. So let's look at God's grace. This is verse 15. Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Just going to read a couple verses out of this chapter, and then we'll talk a little bit, just a little summary about what's included in the grace of God. But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. 
Now, that's a lot of words in one verse. But what I want to focus on is the part that says, how much more? It says the gift of grace can't even be compared to the fall of man. And it says that it's superabounded. The grace of God superabounded so much more than the fall of man. Now, we all know with the fall of man that sin came into the world. Sin entered the world and all of the yuck of the world entered the world, right? This scripture, this one verse says that what Jesus did was so much more than what was lost in the fall of man. Therefore, Jesus won back for us. He redeemed for us more than what was lost. That verse in itself speaks volumes. That verse in itself tells me that God wants me to live a life of abundance. Because all that was lost in the fall of man, sin and sickness and and death and all that stuff, Jesus more than paid for. The other verse that I'd like to look at is verse 20. But then the law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and an exciting opposition. But where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it, has surpassed it, and increased the more and superabounded. To abound means to exist in abundance. So grace has superabounded everything that was lost. All of the sin that was compounded and compounded and compounded, and it grew worse and worse. And the world has just spiraled downward in sin. We see that. We see that big time in the world. But this scripture says that the grace of God has superabounded. Where sin is abounded, grace has superabounded way more, way more. Here's a definition of grace that I love. Grace is the entire provision of God for the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. Let me say that again. Grace is the entire provision for man. Everything provided, everything for your spirit and your soul and your body. Now here are just some nuggets. And these are all from Romans chapter 5. And I'll tell you the verses that if you would like to um, write them down and go back later. One of the things that was provided through the grace of God In verse 16, it talks about justification. Justification. Justification means that we were set free from the charge of the offense. We were set free. We were acquitted. Doesn't mean we didn't do anything, but we were acquitted. We were set free. That's good news. It's a judicial decision of being acquitted. Instead of being condemned, before Jesus, before we we were redeemed, we were condemned. It was a damnatory sentence, separation, eternal separation from God. But when we were redeemed, when we received this grace, we received justification. Another part of the grace of God is righteousness. That's in verse 17 of this chapter. 
righteousness, right standing. And it doesn't mean that we have to do things in order to be righteous. The gift of grace, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, puts us in a position of righteousness. It doesn't mean that I have to do everything right in order to be righteous. It means that I am righteous, that I'm in a position of righteousness. It's not a verb. It's a noun. That's who I am in Christ because of the grace of God. That's good news. Another part of the grace of God is that I and you, we reign as kings. That's verse 17 as well. We reign as kings. That means that we have authority. We have authority. Let me read my little notes about authority. We have delegated authority, but it requires our participation. It's potential for everybody. But if you don't know you have the authority, you're not going to exercise it. But as the king's kid, we have delegated authority. It's like when my kids are in my house, they can go and they can eat anything they want in my house. They can go to the refrigerator, they can open it, they can cook, they can, you know, it's theirs. They have delegated authority. Now, if somebody else came in my house, it might be like, what are you doing? But my kids have that. We're the king's kids. We reign as kings and we have his authority. That's an important part. We're going to talk a lot more about our authority as believers later on in this Bible study. Another part, this is the part that I knew and probably you knew, we have forgiveness of sin. But there's more. We have remission of sin. Remission means the penalty of sin was canceled. Not only do we have complete forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. Forgiveness of any sin that was committed before, that was committed today, or that will be committed ever in your life or in any of God's kids' lives. The penalty was also canceled. The penalty that we owed was canceled through the blood of Jesus. That's part of the gift of grace. It's a big package. You see how Jesus more than redeemed, more than did what the devil did? It was so much more, much more profusely than what happened during the fall. And then came what we're all here to receive, and that is wholeness, healing, wholeness and healing in every area of our lives. When Jesus took care of the sin issue, He took care of the sickness issue. The word for salvation, we've talked about this in great depth. The word for salvation in the Bible is sozo. Sozo means saved, healed, and delivered. There are many scriptures, and this is something I want to teach on one day. It's it's stirring in me. I want to go through and look at all of the scriptures that put sin and healing in the same scripture. Because they're connected. They're completely connected. But salvation includes healing, salvation from from damnation and deliverance. And God's grace includes eternal life. Now, I knew the part before about heaven after I died. 
But what I didn't know is that eternal life starts immediately as soon as you receive Jesus as your Savior. The di- I prayed yesterday, guys, with that girl on the boat. I prayed yesterday for her salvation with her. She received salvation yesterday. Eternal life started for her yesterday. And it goes on forever. My eternal life started February tw- uh, 19th, 2002. The day that you surrender your life to Jesus and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior. I declare, I agree, I confess that you are God. I believe in you. The day that you declare God as your Savior and your Lord and and ask him to be your Savior, that's the day your eternal life starts. And that word eternal life, um, this is in verse 21 of this same chapter, verse 21. The word eternal life is forever, eternal is forever, zoe. Zoe is the word, there's three different words for life in the Bible. But zoe is the word that means God's kind of life. God's kind of life. It doesn't mean physical life, although that's part of it. But it means God's kind of life forever. Eternal zoe. All that's part of grace. And it is all a finished work. It was completed in one event. The sacrifice of Jesus. The perfect sacrificial lamb. Once and for all. He doesn't have to sacrifice again and again and again. It is done. It is complete. That's grace. Grace is what God does for us. And it's independent of us. We don't have to do anything. He did it. This is a a Bill Johnson quote. I love it. He says, Grace is good news. It's not good prophecy. A prophetic word is something that's going to come, to come to pass. Grace, the grace of God, isn't going to come to pass. It already has. It's good news. It's completed. It's a done deal. Okay? The next major point that is on your handout is how do we access it? So that's, a, that's, what, that's grace. And we can go, if you ask any of the ministry team who's wearing a, a badge, we can show you scripturally everything that I just said. The, the benefit package, the gift. But the question is how do, we, how do we access that? So let's look at the Bible and what does it say? We're still in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through him, which refers to Jesus, through Jesus also, we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace, the state of God's favor, in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in the hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. So the scripture says that we access, we access grace by faith. We have access by faith into this grace. And then the hope that we just talked about. Remember the, the word that I had that said fear cancels out hope? But grace gives us hope. Knowing about God's grace rises that hope up in us. And 
The scripture says, and let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Right now, I pray that for you. I pray right now that you experience and enjoy the glory of God today, right now in this place, that you experience and enjoy the glory of God. Say, I receive it. Okay. The next scripture is another scripture that talks about accessing grace. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn there in our Bible, if you have your Bible with you. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There it is again. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The point that we're going to be making over and over tonight is that it's not by works. It's faith, simply believing. That's how you access grace, is by simply believing. And we'll talk about that simply believing part in a minute. But what I'd like to show you, this is so cool, the word saved in this scripture is sozo. That same word I talked to you about. So you could put all of those words in the scripture and it would sound like this. For by grace you have been saved. You've been healed. You've been made well. You've been made whole through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So by grace, you have been saved, healed, and set free through your faith. Jesus did all the work. He took it. He took the sin. He took the fruit of sin. He did his part. The gift, you often hear grace as the definition of grace as a free gift. Unmerited favor. And it was given to us freely. But it was paid for with an immense price. Something worth everything costs a great deal. God thought and thinks that you're worth it. And if it was only one of you, one of of me, he would have paid that price because we're worth it. It was a huge price paid because he thinks we're worth it he loves us so much when i look at my grandson and the love i have for that little baby boy oh my goodness it just i can't even tell you the depth of the love and god's so far outshines anything that we can even begin to fathom in this earth we're worth it to him but he gave it freely We receive it freely, even though it was paid for with such a great price. So this grace is received or accessed through faith. But our part is a choice that we make. Our part is a choice that we make to believe. And this is where it gets hard. Our part is our choice to believe in the grace of God over what we see, 
what we hear, what we feel, what we know in our intellect, what the doctor says. Our part is to simply believe God at his word. And we're going to talk about how to get there in just a second. But that's our part. Okay. I'm going to share an analogy with you. It's a really powerful one. This is from Andrew Womack, um, and I love it. It really helped me to, 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 put a, uh, uh, to, to understand this a little bit better about God's grace and our faith. Right now, in this room, in this region, in this area, there are TV signals. They're being broadcast right now. You might not even believe that, but your unbelief wouldn't mean that those TV signals weren't there. You might not understand it, but your not understanding wouldn't mean that those TV signals aren't here. That makes sense, right? Now think about the grace of God. I just shared with you some scriptural backing about grace and what grace is and what are the amazing parts of the grace of God. Part of that being healing. You may not believe that healing is for you. But just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. You might not understand healing, but just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. TV signals are being broadcast 24-7. If I had a TV monitor in here, if it was plugged in, if it was turned on and tuned into a channel, we'd have a signal here and we could watch whatever we wanted to watch. God's healing is a completed work and it's being broadcast 24-7. But in order to receive it, we have to be plugged in <laughs> to God. We have to be tuned in. We have to under, we have to, I don't you want to even use the word understand. We have to be seeking him. Don't really have to understand a whole lot because I certainly didn't when I was a, br- a brand new believer. I didn't understand, but I chose to believe. And that's the key to receiving. So just like with a TV monitor, you have to have it plugged in and turned on to receive it. Same thing with grace and with healing. You need to be in that, in that place of receiving. And that's simply by believing. That's how you plug in. It's by believing, by faith. But this is the problem. And I've seen it. And I've experienced it. And that is where um, we think that our faith somehow moves God where our faith causes God to do something so that we'll receive healing. That's not true. God's already done his part. Our faith, our prayer, our actions, our taking our Charles Capps books or our prayer books and reading the scriptures three times a day every day doesn't make God move. He's already moved. What that does is prepare us open our heart, put that seed in us deeper and deeper so that it's so real that we believe. And the believing is the the plug-in to the receiving. 
So if you think that you have to do everything just right, if you think, okay, I have to get up an hour early, I have to do this, and then I have to do this, and then I have to do this, and then I have to, you know, X, Y, Z, and then I'll receive, then you're out of balance. Remember I told you today we're going to talk about the balance of grace and faith? If you can picture uh, one of those balance scales with grace on one side and faith on the other, the thing in the middle, the fulcrum in the middle that we're going to talk about today, to balance it is rest. Resting in God. I put some little um, nuggets, some little nuggets on your paper. And one of them says that faith is not trying to get God to do something. Faith is believing what he's already done. It's not trying to get God to do something. He's already done it. It's just believing what he's already done. And faith isn't, isn't, faith is receiving, not achieving. Sometimes we make it too hard. I think we just make it too hard. And then if you go to the next slide, there's a couple of questions. At least I think it's on this slide. Yeah. Go one more slide after this one. Oh, it's right here. This is what I want. How can I doubt that God will do what he's already done? It's a completed work. So when you're talking about believing, how can I doubt it if it's already done? And the next question, why would I doubt that I'm going to get it if I've already got it? You know, I've, re I've read those questions so many times and I think, yeah, it's a finished work. I don't need to do anything. I just need to believe. I'd like to give a couple of examples in the life of Jesus and then we're going to talk about how to enter into that position of resting. The first example, and I'm going to give you the biblical references, but we're not actually going to turn there. I'm just going to refer to them. The first one is John chapter 8, verse 3 through 11. And this is the account of the woman caught in adultery. In that account, there was a woman, and she was brought by the scribes and by the, the high priest to Jesus. And, and they, were, they were testing him, and they said, This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And according to the law... She is to be stoned. But Jesus acted in grace. And he said, okay, the first person of you who has never sinned, who has no sin, you're the first one to throw a stone. Go ahead. You're right. That's what the law says. So go ahead. Well, nobody could throw a stone because everybody had sinned. And when every, one by one, everybody left, and it was just the woman and Jesus... And Jesus looked at the woman and he asked her, he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, They've all left. And he said, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He gave her the gift of no condemnation. And then he said, Go and sin no more. He gave her the gift of grace. He canceled the debt. That's the same thing that he did for us on the cross. He did it for every one of us. The same gift that he gave the woman in the sin of adultery, he gave to every one of us. And he says the same thing to you. He said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I accuse you. He took all the accusation. He took all the judgment on himself. And it's not ours anymore. 
That's a picture of grace. That's the picture of the grace of God. And it's for you. It is yours. It's not something you can reach out and take. It's yours. It's already yours. And the second example is in the Gospel of John as well, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And this is the man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He was at the pool of Bethesda. And and he was waiting for the, the waters to stir so that he could get in because there were miracles that happened there. And he knew that if he could get in the water and be the first one, he would be healed. But he couldn't because he didn't have anybody to help him. And Jesus looked at him and he said, do you want to be healed? He said, get up, you're healed. And he did. He got up and he leapt with joy. He was running and praising God and shouting and so excited. And then the, the chief priest, the high priest, and, the, and the, the elders came and said, who did this? He didn't even know. He didn't even know Jesus. It wasn't even, I mean, we've read so many stories in the Bible, so many accounts where people knew Jesus as the healer, and they went to him because he was the healer. This guy didn't even know. He says, I I don't know that, that man. And then later, later in the day, Jesus saw him again, and he saw Jesus. And he told that man, he said, okay, you're healed. Now, don't, don't go back and sin, or something worse could happen. He talked to the man about it. Afterwards, He had been an invalid for 38 years. He'd been in this position of sickness and infirmity for 38 years. And the gift of grace was completely given to him. That's a picture of the grace of God. That's for me. And that's for you. It doesn't matter what your history was. It doesn't matter what today was like. It doesn't matter what your future is like. That's grace. The completed work of Jesus. Grace is not behavior modification. Rather, it's heart transformation. But it will change your behavior. I love that little quote. Grace is not behavior modification. It's not like, okay, um, you know, like with my baby boy, if he crawls over to the TV, we say no, no, and he looks back at us. That's behavior modification. You know, especially if there's a slap in the patty included. That's behavior modification. That's not what grace is. Grace is heart transformation. Because you've got this amazing God who loves you so much. But because you have this God that loves you so much, your behaviors will be transformed. And it's because of his love that your behaviors are transformed. How many of you can say today that some of your behaviors have been transformed since you've come to know Jesus? Yes. That's just what happens. It's a heart change that happens. Okay, now let's talk about rest. This is another word from Fran, another word that I want to share with you, the same woman that shared the other one. She heard this from God. When you work, I rest. And when you rest, I work. that good? Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4. 
the heading at the beginning of chapter 4 in my Bible says, The Promise of Rest. This whole chapter, I would recommend that you just read this chapter and kind of chew on it, feed on it. Let God speak to you through it. But it's talking about the Israelites and the promise of rest that they had and how they didn't enter into the rest because of their unbelief. Remember, today we're talking about grace and faith, grace and believing. And the Israelites didn't enter into the rest because of their unbelief. I want to read right from the Bible what it says. I'm... I know I said verses 9 through 11, and that's what's on the screen, but I want to go back up to verse 2 and 3. And I'm going to read little parts of these verses. And I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, I think I'm going to start with verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, Let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of us should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. So God's saying, you know, don't think that you're too short, you can't reach the rest. How many of you have been in a place where your life is such a mess, you think, I I want that rest, but I don't know how to get there. Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? Verse 2 says, For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us, just as truly as they did, those Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. So the scripture says that we've heard the gospel. We've heard the truth. I've been telling you all sorts of good news about healing. So you've heard it. They heard it too. They heard the good news of God. Moses was face to face with God. Moses would go talk to God and come and tell them what God said. And then he'd go talk to God. And, and they had this amazing relationship. They had the fire by, by night and they had the cloud by day and they had the manna. They had all of this stuff from God directly to them. It was like miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. It was in their face. And yet they didn't mix belief with what they heard. And they didn't enter the rest. So here we are here at Illness Recovery and at home as you're reading the word and and spending time with God. You're feeding on it. You're feeding on his truth. Faith needs to be combined. Believing. (laughs) Simply believing. Needs to be combined with God's word and say, you know what? I believe it. I might not understand it. I just choose to believe you, God, at your word. And if your word says by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed, I'm going to believe it. I don't care what I see in the world. Don't base your belief on experience. Base your belief on what God's word says. Because we're flawed, but his word isn't. People are flawed, but his word isn't. Don't base your theology on what you see or on experience or what, on what you see other people experience. Base your theology on what his word says. Verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. For we who have believed do enter that rest. I'm going to skip down to the last part of this scripture. 
And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. This is way back in the day of the Israelites. He said his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for them before the foundation of the world. His works had been completed for us. It's already done deal. It's a completed work. It was completed for them. He had a plan to bring them out of bondage, out of slavery, and into the promised land. I don't think he had a 40-year plan. It was a 10-day journey. It was their unbelief that took them 40 years and another generation to be birthed and grow up to reach that promised land because of the unbelief. But it was planned. It was in the works. It was completed. It's been completed for you. The work of healing is done. His work for wholeness in your life is completed. Now we're going to go to verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Say, Amen. Here it is. There is a rest for you and for me. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. This talks about um, God creating the earth and then having a day of rest, creating all of the, the earth and all of the people and all of the animals. And then he had a day of rest. And this scripture says that for us who have entered his rest, we need to cease from our works too. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And I looked in my, um, another translation, the old King James, and it used the word unbelief instead of disobedience. So it said this, I'm going to read it a little differently. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of unbelief. Enter the rest. Now, the scripture doesn't mean that you sit back and don't do anything. That would be like not plugging in your TV and expecting it to work. What it does mean is that we shouldn't think we have to earn God's favor or earn his healing. We don't have to do something to motivate God to love us and to heal us. He's already done that. He's already completed it. Karen. Faith without works is dead, but it's the work of, of, of what, that's what we're going to talk about right now. We're going to talk about how to enter that rest and be diligent to enter that rest. And there are some things, yes, Karen, there are some things that we are to do. Remember how I said it doesn't mean that you don't plug in at all? You do plug in. In order to enter into that rest, there are some pieces that we are going to do. But it's not... It's not a legalistic list. Uh, when, when I say legalistic, I mean um, I have a list of things, literally. Like when I was in my old days, it was like my list was go to church on Sunday. Check. Done. That's not God's desire for us. His desire for us is with our heart to give our lives to him. It's not a checklist of things to do in order to receive from him. 
We don't have to earn it. Let me, let me go on with the teaching and we'll talk more afterwards. That's a really good question. So here's the scripture. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified now. Hebrews 4.11. And it is exactly what Karen was just talking about. It's, it's like, okay, God, first you say rest. And then in this scripture, Hebrews 4.11, it says, let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? He tells us to rest, but yet he says to do it, to exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. So this thing called believing or called faith has pieces that we can do to receive, to receive that believing, to be able to believe without works. And the first one is love, receiving God's love, receiving his love. It's like I started out this session saying, if you don't have a relationship with somebody, you're not going to trust them. The first step in entering that rest is to know his love and to receive his unconditional love. Many times, this is where I was when I was first diagnosed, I was seeking healing. Not the healer. But when I started seeking the healer, and I didn't know how to do that. My friend just said, spend time with God every day. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And she said, read your Bible and pray. So I started opening this book and reading it. And I started talking to God. In order to receive his love, you need to have a relationship with him. In order for me to receive my husband's love, I have to know him. I have to have a relationship with him. When you seek the healer, you receive the healing. You find the healing. Would you turn with me to Psalm 91? Three years ago, I was healed 11 years ago of cancer. Three years ago, I, they found a mass in my neck. And, oh boy, oh boy, did I ever have to start all over fighting. Fighting um, fear and taking hold of God's word at like a life saver because, oh my goodness, the, the fear that was in me when I had that mass in my neck. And this is one of the scriptures God gave to me, the whole scripture, all of Psalm 91. But I'm going to read just the last three verses, starting with verse 13, because we're talking about receiving the love of God. And this is one of the keys that helped me through that season. It was receiving God's love. And I, I actively pursued his love. I actively pursued coming to know his love more and receive it and understand it and grow in the knowledge of his love. And this is a scripture that he gave to me as a rhema word that was just right in my heart. I'm going to read it first as it is written, and then I'm going to read it as a, a word that I spoke for myself. I'm going to put, paraphrase it a little bit. Verse 13. 
You shall tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. In Luke 10, verse 19, God says believers will do that. Jesus says believers will, will trample on, on serpents and any work of the enemy, and they'll have to bow to your name. They'll have to bow to the name of Jesus, I should say. I'm paraphrasing that. But if you look it up, Luke 10, 19, that's where this, it was based on this scripture. So God says, you're going to tread upon the enemy. You're going to tread upon that lump in your neck. You're going to tread upon whatever it is that's attacking you. And this is why, verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name. He has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness. He trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And this is how I read it. I shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent I will trample underfoot. Because I have set my love upon you, therefore will you deliver me. You will set me on high because I know and understand your name. I have a personal knowledge of your mercy, love, and kindness. I trust and rely on you, knowing you will never forsake me. No, never. I shall call upon you and you will answer me. You will be with me in trouble. You will deliver me and honor me with long life. Will you satisfy me and show me your salvation? Amen. Amen. But this is all centered around knowing his love, knowing his goodness, knowing his mercy, knowing his kindness. The second um, scripture here is John 17, and this is another one during that same season of my life when I was when I had that mass in my neck and I was seeking God so, so diligently for the fear to leave and to know that his promise superseded that lump in my neck and that I had the final report. And I did. I did. There was no cancer in my neck. It wasn't cancer. I received the fullness of his, of his truth. And this was the other scripture, John 17. This is a whole chapter of Jesus praying right before he was crucified. Right before he was crucified. And the last verse, verse 26, says, I have made your name known to them. Jesus is talking to his father about us. And he says, I have made your name known to them. And revealed your character and your very self. And I will continue to make you known. That the love which you have bestowed upon me may be in them. Felt in their hearts. And that I myself may be in them. So this is what I do. When I am in a, in a place of of really needing to be in that place of rest where I'm simply believing. I don't understand. I might have symptoms like a lump in my neck. I might have uh, doctor's reports and junk attacking me. People 
asking questions and all kinds of stuff. But in the midst of that, I literally seek the love of God. And I speak to God about it. I, and I, I, I talk about his love to me. I, something like this. I say, Father God, I know you love me. I know you love me and I thank you for that love. You love me so much. Your love is so wide and so high and so deep and so long. I thank you, God, that I know your love. I know your love. Your love consumes me. Your love casts out all fear. You lavish your love on me. You pour your love over me. You fill me with your love from the inside out. I receive your love, Father. I receive your love. You wrap your arms around me and you love me. I'm your baby girl. I'm the apple of your eye. You love me and I receive your love, Father. So I just start talking to him about his love for me. And when I do, that fear leaves. When I do, I'm in that place of rest. I do it at night a lot. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I've got stuff racing through my head or there's fear that's attacking me, seems like the night is the time that that happens. <laughs> I see lots of agreement there. That's what I do. I just start talking to God about his love for me and the fear literally washes away. Sometimes I have to do it for a while. I have to do it out loud, so I might leave the bedroom so Kent doesn't have to hear me, although he doesn't ever complain if I do. So that's one of the things I do, to get into that place of rest. There's a teaching on our website. It's an audio teaching. It's not video, but it's called The Greatest Love Story Ever Told. If you would like a whole teaching on the love of God and being immersed in his love, you might want to download that one and listen to it. So that's number one, receive God's love. Number two, so Karen, this is the works that we do, okay? The first one is to receive his love. Is that a good work? <laughs> do you want to call it a work? Number two is to constantly renew your mind with the word. You have to fill yourself with something. I was talking to somebody on the phone yesterday who is, um, has been being attacked by the enemy. And she was telling me about the attacks. And they were, they were bad attacks. I'm not going to go into detail, but she's had one thing after another after another where she's been attacked. And she was talking about the enemy and talking about the enemy and talking about the enemy. And I said, I have to share with you about Yvonne. I'm always bragging on Yvonne. She's not here tonight. But I said... Yvonne, I, she's told me something once that really stuck with me. And she said that when she was going through the cancer thing, she kept fighting the enemy and fighting the enemy and fighting the enemy and fighting the enemy. And then she realized that she was spending more time fighting the enemy than she was with God. That's why it's so important to continuously fill your heart and your mind with the word. We don't study the word to get God to heal us. We study the word 
to find out that God has already healed us. To calm our fears and to anchor our faith. Let me say that again. This is a Bill Johnson quote. It's so good. We don't study the word to get God to heal us. There are three reasons to study the word. Number one, to find out that God has already healed us. As you read all of those accounts about Jesus healing, that's what you're doing. You're seeing how God has already healed us. Number two, to calm our fears. And number three, to anchor our faith, to give our faith an anchor. There are three scripture references. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because we did in the last teaching that I did a couple weeks ago. Um, It's about being fed the word of God. As you feed, as you hear the word, that's why those little confession books are really powerful. As you read the scriptures and you hear the scriptures, what happens? You tell me. It gets planted in your heart, doesn't it? Over time, it becomes rhema. Sometimes they're automatically, immediately rhema. I love it when God does that. He just takes it right from the word or right from his, his still small voice and puts it right in your heart. But not always. Another way that rhema, word can become rhema, that means it's right in your heart. It's not in your head, it's in your heart, is when you hear God's word over and over and over again. It becomes rhema to you. And that's why praying those healing scriptures is so powerful. The other reason praying those healing scriptures is so powerful is because his word is alive. It's not just words on a page. It's living. It's powerful. Jesus says in John chapter 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches. And that when we abide in his word, when we dwell permanently in his word, that we can ask whatever it is that we need according to his will, And it will be answered. The reason that happens is because the life of the word is infused into you. So if you're praying scriptures about healing, that truth, that powerful truth, will be infused into your spirit. You're agreeing with God's word and it will literally be infused into you. You're the vine. Can't help it. The branch feeds the vine. And then the third scripture reference that's here is 1 John chapter 5. And this is just a bonus. It says if we pray anything according to his will, that the answer is yes. If you have something right from the Bible, if you have a scripture right from the Bible, you know it's his will. So if you have scriptures about healing, you know it's his will. You don't have to question, is this God's will? And the confidence that we have I mean, when you read the scripture, it's all about confidence. This is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have. We are sure that if we ask anything according to his will, we will have whatever it is that we ask. The reason we have that confidence is because we're confident in him, not in us. We're fully persuaded in him and his truth and his word. So the first place in entering his rest is receiving his unconditional love the second place in being in that place of rest is constantly renewing your mind with his word and number three acknowledge god 
Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him for what he's doing. Don't look at what you don't, what you think he hasn't done. Look at what he has done. Look at other people's testimonies. Look at accounts in the Bible of healing. Acknowledge God. Every little thing. Many times as we're going through a journey of healing, even before you've seen the end result, you've seen God work in your life. You guys know my eagle story, right? Most of you know my eagle story. I won't go into detail now. I saw the eagle twice today. He lives in my cottage now. I acknowledge God all the time. The girl that was on my pontoon boat yesterday, I said, have you seen my eagle yet? She's read my book. I was acknowledging God. God did that for me. He loves me. He gave me my own eagle. I acknowledge him. Share little pieces of your testimony. Yesterday when that girl was sitting on my pontoon boat, I shared several testimonies. I didn't go into great depth like I do here. She wasn't ready for that. I gave her little snippets, and I shared several testimonies, and I prayed with her. Acknowledge God. Proverbs 3, verse 6. We won't turn there because of time, but it's up on the board. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That word acknowledge, it's a big word. It means to know him, to Come to know him through experience. That's what happened to me. When I first started this journey, I didn't know God. I didn't know him personally. As soon, as soon as I started seeking him, I started experiencing him. I was amazed. I was in awe. I had lived 44 years and never experienced him. I had never had prayers directly answered. And all of a sudden, when I sought him, he was there. He is there. And that word acknowledge means to come to know him through experience. And that goes on forever. You don't get to a certain point and you say, okay, now I know him. <laughs> and that's good news. Because no matter how deep in love you are with him and no matter how much you know him, as long as you continue to seek him, you're going to continue to know him more. And acknowledging him is part of that. So you come to know him more. You come to discern him discern him that means you can you can sense him you can you can know see him in different places in different situations that discerning in you becomes more um um sensitive discerning you come to recognize him acknowledge him here are some ways to do that journaling it's a big deal. If you don't journal, please do. It's so powerful. You'll look back and you'll see so many awesome things God has done for you. You need to journal because sometimes in the midst of a really difficult time, you need to go back and read that journal and see what God has done for you. You may forget some of those little things, but they're powerful. And God will speak to you again and again and again as you go back and reread those things. So that's the first thing is to journal. Number two is to share your testimonies. Share every piece of it. You know, come in and, and share it with anybody on the ministry team and say, listen what God did for me today. It might be, for example, um, Janet came in tonight and she said, I had insomnia for 
I don't know, several days in a row, and she said, I'm sleeping now. I have peace. That's a testimony. That's a huge testimony. Share your testimonies. The third one I've already referred to. In times of spiritual attack or a difficult time, go back and reflect on what God has already done. And the last point is to make a choice to offer God your sacrifice of praise continuously. The last scripture we're going to actually, next to the last scripture, is Hebrews 13. Would you please turn there? We're going to look at what the Bible says about acknowledging God through praise even before you've seen the end result that you're, that you're believing him for. Hebrews 13:15 says, Through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. This scripture says that even before you have the answer to praise him, that even before you have the good report, praise him, acknowledge him. Say, God, I did this tonight when we were driving here. Today, when we were driving here. I was praising God because he's the healer. I was praising God because I know that he's here right now, moving, healing, saving, delivering. Praise him. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge who he is. Pastor Tracy often says that as whatever, whatever you praise God for, he becomes to you. So if you praise him as your healer, healing is, is poured out upon you. As you praise him for being your peace, his peace flows into you. As you praise him for being your provider, that provision is, is shown to you or given to you. So praise him, acknowledge him for who he is, declare his works, declare his goodness, praise him. And the last scripture is Romans 4. This isn't on your sheet, so you might want to add it. And then we're going we're gonna to praise him. Romans chapter 4. This is Abraham. I love this, this example of faith. Verse 20 and 21 says, No unbelief or distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. We're talking about the balance of faith and grace. Abraham, a man who was 99 years old and impotent, had, didn't, let, didn't let distrust enter in didn't let his impotence in his 99-year-old age get in the way. Rather, he, was, he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and, do, and to do what he had promised. So that faith was empowered. That faith was raised up as he praised and worshipped God. So that's part of acknowledging him, praising him and worshiping him for who he is, even in the midst. So that was a long answer to your question, Karen. 
But yes, there are works involved in rest, receiving his love, renewing your mind continuously with the word of God and acknowledging him. The woman that I talked to last night that had been being attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked, I asked her, I said, have you been consistently spending time with God every day? And she said, no, I've gotten away from it. And I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Every day, start your day with God. Every day. Start your day with God. Call me in one week. Tell me the difference. There will be a difference. When you seek God, he's there for you. Just like my friend Yvonne, instead of wasting her time with the enemy, she gave her time to God. Receive his love. Renew your mind in his word. Acknowledge him. Okay. Can't we turn on the...